Welcome to the Harbor Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information, visit us online at www.theharborli.com. Let me ask you a question today. What is talked about more than anything else and practiced less than anything else? That would be prayer. You know, we have a tendency, and myself included, uh, and, and God has really convicted me in recent years over this where someone would share with me a need and I would go, you know, I'll pray for you. And then I forget. I never pray for him. We talk about it a lot. But um, now what I do, by the way, what I do in that situation, I'll either say, can we pray now? Or when I'm on my way to my truck, I'll pray just so I don't forget. It was funny. On Friday, we had a pastor's meeting at the diner. And one of the, the servers, a guy named Mike, big guy named Mike. Some of you know Mike. He's awesome. And Mike was saying, man, my back is killing me. My, he's got some issues with his hip and his back and said, my back is killing me. And I almost said, we'll pray for you. You know, we got the week of prayer and fasting, but we'll pray for you. And then I'm, I'm with a bunch of pastors, and I'm like, okay, hold on. Mike, come here. <laughs> and I laid my hands on Mike's back, and we prayed for him right there. And before we got done, he goes, you know, I think I'm starting to feel better. <laughs> I'm like, all right. So the diner is now our third campus. We're, we're, we're claiming it. And, uh, but but uh, we talk about it a lot, you know. Our prayers are with you. What does that mean? Like what, you know, our thoughts and prayers are with you. All right. We need to start praying and we need to start getting with God. It's the greatest gift that a believer has is, is to have a, a communication, to have a relationship with their creator. It is amazing. All through the Old Testament, there were generations upon generations that would have died to have the access to God that we have. And, and yet, and myself included, I, I tend to take it for granted sometimes. And this week where we unplug and we say, God, the focus is going to be on you. The, the, my, my thoughts, my prayers, I just I want to sit in your presence and I want to hear from you. It's, it's just an incredible time. So I'm looking so forward to what God is going to do this week. There's an author by the name of F.B. Meyer that said this. He said, the great tragedy of life is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. And I think that he, he's on to something there. Because instead of prayer being something that we do every day, prayer uh, s- starts to become like that little glass box on the wall that all of us have seen, in case of emergency, break the glass. And, and you know what? We often associate prayer with crisis. And, and just so you know, a crisis is certainly a time to pray. I'm not saying that it isn't. It, it really is. Um, but there's more to prayer than just praying during a crisis. And so I want to look at two kinds of prayer today in Scripture that I see that will help all of us as followers of Jesus. And that's crisis prayers. We're going to talk about that today. And closet prayers, which is the prayers when we're alone by ourselves, when no one else is around, and we're pouring our hearts out to God and saying, God, speak to me, you know, be with me, help me, you know, lead me, direct me. And those are closet prayers. So I want to look at both of those today because both are very important. Today our story is going to begin uh, with uh, something that happened 12 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And it, it was something that, um, that the early church was, was going through uh, a time of uh, intense persecution. 
Uh, the church was growing like crazy, but it was being persecuted by Herod. And, and the, family, the, the family of Herod's, uh, they, they hated Christianity. They hated Jesus. They hated everything about it. And so I want to pick it up in the book of Acts and read what was happening. Now, the cool thing about it, and I've seen this happen so many times, is that uh, Lindsay, who leads worship here, who's our worship pastor here, her and I did not connect. She didn't know what I was speaking on today, and she sang this song about breaking the chains, and we're going to talk today about a, a time when God broke the chains in Peter's life. So it's neat how God knows what he's doing. And he speaks to all of us, and it all comes together, just a beautiful thing. So the scripture starts off, and it, it talks about, it says, About that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. He was beheaded. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. And this took place during the Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. He, he was going to kill him. He was going to execute him in front of everybody. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. That was a crisis prayer. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep. I wouldn't be sleeping, would you? He was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others, so others uh, stood guard at the prison gate. Suddenly, there was a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. And the angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, Quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrists. Then the angel told him, Get dressed and put on your sandals. And he did. And now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell following the angel. But all the time he thought it was a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening. They passed the first and second guard posts and came to the iron gate leading to the city, and this opened for them all by itself. So they passed through and started walking down the street, and then the angel suddenly left him. Peter finally came to his senses. It's really true, he says. The Lord has sent an angel and saved me from Herod and from the Jewish leaders and what they had planned to do to me. When he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. He knocked at the door in the gate, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside to tell everybody, hey, Peter is standing at the door. You're out of your mind, they said. And when, when she insisted, they decided it must be his angel. Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. And when they finally opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. He mentioned for them to quiet down and told them how the Lord had led him out of prison. 
Tell James and the other brothers what happened, he said. And then he went to another place. At dawn, there was a great commotion among the soldiers about what had happened to Peter. Herod Agrippa ordered a thorough search for him, and when he couldn't be found, Herod interrogated the guards and sentenced them to death. Afterward, Herod left Judea to stay in Caesarea for a while. How much would it stink to be a guard that day? Those guys are just doing their job. They were chained to this guy, and the power of God shows up <laughs> and rescues him, and they end up getting murdered for that. I've entitled this message today, When Heaven Invades the Earth. See, I believe that when we worship and we pray, it's heaven invading the earth. I believe that when, when the supernatural shows up, the natural is altered. When God moves, chains break. When God moves, people are healed. People are transformed. When God moves, when, when God shows up, things happen. And so we see this whole family of Herods. Herod Agrippa was the grandson of Herod the Great. And his uncle was Herod Antipas, who was the one who had tried Jesus 12 years earlier. And here we find ourselves back in a place where the church, which is thriving and growing, is facing tremendous persecution because of Jesus. And when the believers heard about James and Peter, and it appears that Peter didn't know that James had died yet, because he made reference to telling him what had happened, James had been beheaded, and they knew that death was certain for Peter, they gathered together for a crisis prayer. The church came together to Mary's house to pray. And I would imagine that their faith was probably shaken because of the news of James and what had happened. And now they're facing certain death for Peter. And from a human perspective, there was no hope for Peter. He was going to be executed the very next day. But heaven invaded earth because of their prayers. And God answered the prayers of the believers who were interceding for Peter. God heard them and answered their prayers and supernaturally rescued him. Back in World War II, there was a, a, a pastor by the name of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Lloyd and in 1939, he preached a series of sermons on prayer in the life of the church in the midst of the Nazi regime taking over. And he preached a message on the very passage that we just read today. And he was comparing Herod to Hitler uh, and, and what was going on in that day. And he went on to say that, that the gospel in, in God, is God's message coming in when nothing else can change the situation. And this is what he said in uh, uh, verse 7 where it said that the light shined in that cell, this bright light. This is what he said. He said, the whole message of this verse is just this that it matters not what your situation may be, however dark, however black, however tight your bonds, however imprisoned and fettered you may be, if God wills your deliverance, it can be done. It will be done. Prison cells and wards and chains and iron gates, they are nothing to the God who made the world and sustains everything by his power. No matter where you're at, no matter where you find yourself at, God is still a God that breaks chains. said that the church prayed very earnestly for him. 
And I got thinking about that word because depending on the translation of the Bible that you read, there's, there's different words that are used for that very earnestly phrase. And I thought, you know, um, I, I really want to see the full depth and meaning of that word. So I, I looked at the thesaurus and I, and I wanted to see words that would be the same that we could connect with. And, and the kind of prayer that we pray that God hears and, and is passionate about. So other words for the word earnestly are words like diligent or fervent or heartfelt, impassioned or passionate, purposeful, sincere, urgent. You ever pray when there's urgency? Eager, like you, you just can't wait any longer. You've got to get with God. So fervent prayers or earnest prayers or passionate prayers, they're always motivated by a deep love and concern for someone or something. It's, it's offered with enthusiasm and feeling and faith. It's not just a list of needs that you need taken care of, and it's just a cold thing where you say, just bop, 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 we're done, I prayed, it's over. That's not what it's about. It's about coming to God when your heart is wrecked for someone or someone else's life or situation. You know, we found ourselves as a community this past week, the past couple of weeks, uh, and everybody in our community has been deeply, deeply affected by the death of little Thomas. And the, and the more you hear, the more sick you are to your stomach when you hear the things. And you find that conversations are being had all over our community about this. And as a church, even this week, you know, this is a crisis prayer. This is There, there are some major needs that need to be uh, uh, intervened by God for. And, and, you know, I think of this family, the other brothers of this little boy and the mother who, who has, the, has the boys now just went through burying her son the other day. I think about the little girls that lived in the same home that their father is now raising. I think about the first responders that were there. I think about the neighbors that were there. I think about the, the teachers in the schools that, that knew the family. I think about everyone in, in that was affected by this, and everyone feels the same way, just wrecked and heartbroken over how something like this could happen. People in our community are talking, and, and you know, there's blue ribbons everywhere, and it's just a constant reminder of how this community came together. But this community is hurting, and this is a good time for the Harbor Church to be in crisis prayer mode, to pray that God would reveal His great love and His comfort and and his wisdom to everybody involved, because people are asking. And you just need to know, uh, I'm not going to get into detail, but, but you just need to know that your church is involved behind the scenes in a real tangible way to minister to people that were affected by this very closely. We are involved. You don't have to even second-guess that. We are involved. I just am not able to share it. But there's some things happening. And we are committed to bringing healing to the families, but, but to the community as well. I had a conversation the other day in a public setting when someone said, where does God land on all this? And I thought it was a great question. But it opened the door for me to have further conversations with this person. And I think that people are wondering, and they should. So there are times where there are crisis prayers that are, are needed and, and where, where you are just agonizing and passionate about it. You are, you're heartbroken over it. 
I think of when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane before he was arrested and he knew what was coming. And, and, and it says that he prayed even more passionately like one being sacrificed until he was in such intense agony of spirit that his sweat became drops of blood dripping onto the ground. Jesus talks a lot about prayer. And the two most instructive passages of prayer that I see, and there's a lot, but there's, there's two that, that he mentions in prayer, and they both have to do with persistence and not giving up. One's in Luke 18, one's in Luke 11. And, and so the first one in Luke 18 is about this widow, this, this, this widow that Jesus talks about that uh, kept going before the king, and she, would, she wouldn't take no for an answer. And she would go every single day until the king just gave up and said, all right, I'm going to grant her request because I need to get her off my back. Now, obviously, God's not that way, but we should pray that way is what he's saying. And he said one day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. You ever give up because you don't see an answer? I mean, we wait a whole 12 minutes. But some of us have waited years for an answer, and we haven't gotten the answer yet, and so it's easy to want to give up. But I'm telling you, Jesus, if he said don't ever give up, you need to keep being persistent and pray. He's, he's telling us that for a reason. Another passage in Luke 11, there's three words that he uses that you're going to recognize, but there are three words that we should write down maybe and remind ourselves when we want to give up. In Luke 11, verse 9, it says, he says, so it is with your prayers. Ask. Everyone say ask. Ask and you will receive. Seek. Boy, you guys are good. And, and you'll discover. Knock and on heaven's door and it will one day open for you. Every persistent person will get what he asks for. Every persistent seeker will discover what he needs. And everyone who knocks persistently will one day find an open door. Ask, seek, and knock, and don't ever give up. Each of those words are in the present tense with an active voice and could be translated like this. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking. Just as Luke shows us a little window here of crisis prayer, many theologians believe that Luke wrote the book of Acts. I tend to lean that way. None of us know for sure, but I'm pretty confident that he did. He shows us what happens when the church comes together in a moment of crisis and prays. But there's also a week-to-week, day-to-day pattern of prayer for the early church that we see, and it has to do with personal prayer, closet prayer. And, and this is the thing that I see in our day and age today. Many people will say that they believe in God and pray to him. But the problem is, in reality, a lot of people's prayers are directed to a deity that they've created themselves in their own minds, a deity that suits their own lifestyle and agrees with everything that they pray for. And that's not really God. So here's the dilemma with that. A man-made God has no power to answer prayer and can never offer assurance of heaven. I think of, I think of uh, when Elijah was on the mountain 
Kim and I stood on that very mountain, Mount Carmel. I wish I could have known the spot. We didn't know the spot, but I was probably standing right on the spot. Um, <clears throat> that's what I'm going to tell everybody. But, but, but those prophets of Baal, you remember the story? They were praying passionately, weren't they? They were going crazy. They were jumping around, dancing, cutting themselves with pottery, yelling, you know, screaming. And, and Elijah's just sitting in the corner going, where's your God, man? Is he in the bathroom or what? They're going crazy and nothing happens because they were praying to the wrong God. Elijah gets up and prays to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and prays that he'll accept this and, and, and fire comes down from heaven and the whole nation was transformed because of what happened on that mountain. And I want you to know that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob offered his son as a sacrifice for our sins. And there are a lot of people today that, that say, well, there's a lot of different ways to God. That's the mindset people have. But you need to know that there are a lot of different mindsets. There, is a, there are a lot of different ways that people have in their minds. But you need to know that there's one door, one gate, one way. And that's through Jesus. And I know that's not popular today to hear, but it's the truth. And Jesus, when we, prayed, when we pray to God through Jesus, we are praying to the God of miracles. We are praying to the God of the universe. We are praying to the God that can set the captive free. We are praying to the God that can raise people from the dead and can heal people and can do all that. We are praying to the God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the God of all universe and creation. He's alive. He's not dead. And I like what uh, Jesus said in Matthew 6. He said, whenever you pray, be sincere and not like the pretenders who love the attention they receive while praying before others in meetings and on street corners. I'm not really into praying on street corners, so forgive me. Believe me, they've already received their full reward. But whenever you pray, go into your innermost chamber and be alone with Father God, praying to him in secret. And your Father who sees all you do will reward you openly. A few verses later, verse 33, he says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he'll give you everything you need. As we set aside this time this week of fasting and prayer as a church, it, it, it's, it's an opportunity for us to unplug from our daily routine and, and just focus on him. And listen, um, let me just share with you what the schedule is going to be like. And you can make all of it or some of it or part of it, whatever you can meet. But we're going to open up the doors every morning at 6 a.m. here. And for two hours till 8 o'clock, um, the doors will be open. It's a time you bring your Bible, just find an empty seat in here and just seek God and read his word and listen. You can come for five minutes and leave or you can come for the whole time, whatever works for you. If you can't make it to the church because of your job and you're going in the opposite direction, then find a place in your home where you can get alone and spend some time with God in the mornings. I promise you when you start, you'll never stop. So we're going to have early morning prayer, which I, I always love to do. And then Tuesday night, we're going to have our service at Patchogue at 730. And that's going to, the emphasis of that service is going to be on prayer and fasting. And we're going to talk a little bit about all that. It's going to be amazing. 
And then Thursday night right here at Center Riches at 7 o'clock, we're going to have our prayer and worship service, and, and we're just going to seek God together. It's just, a, it's just a time where we can, as a body, get together and seek His face. Some of you aren't familiar with fasting. You're like, what is that? It, it's, it's, it's a time that you kind of deny your physical flesh food or whatever it is and, and because you're wanting to focus in on God. There are times that when we fast, I, I've, I've fasted with just broth and liquids, and there are times that we do something else. And this time, my wife and I prayed, and we, we're going to do what they call a Daniel fast, which is basically what we find in the book of Daniel, where Daniel and, and those, those three young men ate vegetables and fruit. That's what we're going to do this year. And there's going to be probably a time this year where we take the church through a 40-day Daniel fast to just seek God. Wouldn't that be cool? Some of you are like, no. <laughs> if five guys aren't included in it, I'm out. I wonder if an impossible whopper would fit under the Daniel fast. Um, don't get me thinking. <laughs> so uh, if you have any questions about that, I, I've been told you get on our website, and we've got a whole page on fasting. And if you have physical issues, talk to your doctor first. Don't do anything. If you're scared about it, start small. Start small. Fast something that you do every day. Just fast, you know, a meal or fast this or that. And Whatever it is, it's just unplugging. What I've noticed when I've fasted um, on a, for long periods of time, I, what I've noticed is the extra time that I have because we think so much about food. I mean, right now, some of you are thinking about what you're going to have for lunch after the service is done. Hey, where are we going to go for lunch? We're going to the diner. No, I'm kind of tired of the diner. We're going to go to the... You're thinking about it already. Now I just put that in your mind. You're not going to hear anything else I say. But we think a lot about, Amy, you're th I know you're thinking about. So, so we think so much about food and what we're going to have for the meal. And it's amazing when you remove that, how much extra time you have. It's crazy. <laughs> when I do long-term fest, I watch the Food Network, man. Just get I'm stuffed. I can't watch another episode. <sighs> oh, it's crazy. So I just want to encourage you this week to, to step out of your comfort zone and, and, and say, you know, God, I'm going to. I'm going to, with my church, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set aside something, some time and maybe, maybe some meals. And I'm, I'm just going to focus on you and see what you have to do in my life. As our band comes back and our hosts are going to come and distribute the communion elements today. Um, I believe that this year is going to be an incredible year for us as a, as a family, as the Harbor family. But I believe for your life individually. I believe that God wants to do things in your life so far beyond what you could ever imagine. And Luke, who probably wrote the book of Acts, and we just read all the scriptures in Luke about the persistent prayer. Um, there's a verse in Hebrews that, that fits right along with this so, so well. In Hebrews 10, and it says this, And now we are brothers and sisters in God's family because of the blood of Jesus, and he welcomes us to come right into the most holy sanctuary in the heavenly realm, boldly and with no hesitation, for he has dedicated a new life-giving way for us to approach God. For just as the veil was torn in two, Jesus' body was torn open to give us free and fresh access to him. Heaven invades the earth when we pray. 
You know what's, what's mind-blowing to me? And when we were in Israel, I tried to picture that where the temple would have been and picturing that every year the thousands upon thousands of animals that would have been slaughtered and their blood sprinkled on the altar for a temporary covering of sins. You had to do that every year. And just the noises that you would have heard and the smells that you would have heard and just all of that. And, and the average person could not go in to where the presence of God was. It was this little room in the temple called the Holy of Holies. And only a, a single priest would be allowed to go in there to offer sacrifices. And the priest had to be sinless. This is where it gets crazy. So on the priest's robe, there would be, uh, there would be bells tied to the bottom of his robes and pomegranates. And they would, they would tie a rope around his ankle. And when he would go into the holy holies, as long as they heard the bells, they knew that he was good. But if there was sin in his life that was not covered, he would be struck dead. And if they didn't hear the bells anymore, they would pull him out by his ankle. Talk about pressure, right? But we're talking about a holy God. We're talking about a God that said, I demand holiness. And in and, and my presence, I can't, you know... He's so holy and pure that he cannot be around sin. And, I mean, that's crazy. But that's the way it was for generations. And that's why when Jesus came and offered himself as the spotless lamb, it was the first time in history that man didn't have to do that. And he said, that's why he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Because he laid down everything so that you and I could have access to God. That's what the verse just talked about. And the, the crazy thing is, is that Holy of Holies, there was a veil that was huge. I forget how many feet. It was like 40 feet high or something. It was almost a foot thick, this veil. It separated that holiness where the presence of God would be, that Holy of Holies, with the rest of the temple. And when Jesus breathed his last breath on the cross, that veil tore from top to bottom. I think that's interesting because if it would have been from bottom to top, we could have said man did it. But it tore from top to bottom, opening up this holy of holies for the first time. And for the first time in human history, man can come into the presence of God. And, and what we're reading here is that we can come boldly, confidently into the very presence of God that others only dreamed about. So my question to you today is, <clears throat> why wouldn't we take advantage of that? Why wouldn't we want to enter into his presence every day and just say, God, be with me. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Today Thanks on earth as it is in heaven. for listening to today's message. If you would like to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus today, visit us online at www.theharborli.com backslash next step.